Kia ora, aotearoa, and welcome to Generally Famous. I'm Simon Bridges, and every week I talk to generally famous but always interesting guests about life, love, and what makes them tick. Distinguished journalist, uh, now author, and hailing from Northern Ireland, Andrea Vance, welcome to Generally Famous. Thank you. I thought you said you had four nice words about me. I only counted two. Whoa. Distinguished journalist counts as two. <laughs> uh, what did I say? Now author. I was going to say renowned, but we don't know that yet, do we? Let's be honest. Uh, and and um, Northern, well, that's Northern Ireland is neutral, but I think that's nice. It okay. was about seven. Okay. Actually, All right. Well, if you're, if you're counting... Not adjectives. <laughs> yes, fine. Well, I won't quibble. Uh, the school I went to, we didn't learn adjectives. <laughs> adjectives. I um, I'm helping my uh, children with these things right now. Actually, it's quite difficult when you don't know them yourself. But um, as I have in my career, I fake it till I make it. Anyway, I feel like I know you very well, but actually, I don't know that I do in a sense. I mean, we've never we've never been out on a boozy night or at a long dinner or anything. Um, I don't know how I first met you, but what I do remember, I remember, I think John Key warning us that you were very smart, pretty wily, and possibly scary. And then I think as a young cabinet minister I did an interview with you and I think those things were probably somewhat true but it was enjoyable I like you and then over the years we we, we did more of uh, more of that and um, I think I would stick with that you're smart uh, you're savvy um, I, I think a little bit wily would you agree with that? Yeah I think wily's probably quite <laughs> correct I think those are probably more accurate adjectives than the first ones and um, and you know um, I, I suppose what I'd like to know from you is what is the single favourite thing you remember about first meeting me? Oh, well, I probably not the first time I met <laughs> I met you um, because it would have been in sort of stand-ups or press conferences. or. Mm. But I have a very clear memory of my first, um, I guess, significant impression of you. And you probably won't remember this, but it was at a national party conference. I think it was in Wigram at, at the... Fl- at the flight oh, museum yes. down there and it had been a long day or a couple of days and you of course were one of the young guns you and Nikki Kay were the up and comers the ones to watch and I remember um, you and Nikki came down to the press room and we were all filing madly about the day's speech which I can't even remember what it was and um, you brought us a whole lot of like a platter of cheese I think and a couple I of bottles of wine that. and yeah it was awesome I was like oh I quite like these guys I mean you know we didn't pay for it right oh, it was no. probably Wayne Eagleson or someone the chief of staff who said Nikki Simon <laughs> well it felt it did feel very natural and you kind of sat around and had a bit of a yarn with us and it was just it was a really nice gesture because often those things can be a bit tense and confrontational and no one really really wants us there the, the yes. delegates certainly hate having us around so it was just it was a really nice thing to do so that always stood out in my mind as not the first time I met you but I mean you don't sort of do that so much anymore do you you're not there at those I mean did you enjoy that part of the the gig I did I yeah I so I did about 10 years in the gallery and I I, oh of course I loved it it's the most exciting place to work I think in in New Zealand journalism because um if the big stories don't start there they certainly often end there so and it's so, so fast paced and the adrenaline and and you get to um, interview and talk to some very smart people all day, every day, and um, and I weirdly love select committees. I don't know why, but I just love attending select committees. <laughs> Sometimes I, I, I just didn't. tune in. <laughs> I used to, I, lo- I love them because it's, it's a really great way to see um, 
who was good, you know, like yeah. which MPs were really making their mark by the yeah. questions they asked and their performance. So I love that. Um, the party conferences I did not love so much because, of course, you had to do them on the weekend. But also, and I don't want to offend anyone, but people that go to party conferences on the weekend for fun and are not being paid Harry for are just a bit weird. I didn't say that. I don't believe that, by the way, <laughs> to all my former friends and supporters. Um, it's very important. Yeah. It's very important work, but still, it wouldn't be how I chose And it is a minority sport these days. It's not as if, yeah, I mean, I, I recently attended, not a political one, but an AGM on a Friday night, and I just thought, this is not what normal people do. I think you're, I think you're right. You, you grew up in Northern Ireland. Where, where were you? I grew up just outside Belfast, um, and it was, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in that time um, during the Troubles, so mm. um, that you will have, pr- it was probably your only exposure mm. to Northern Ireland in the media up until Dairy Girls <laughs> first aired a couple of years oh, ago. we're coming to that. Oh, we are coming to that. Yeah. that. And I loved it. Oh, did you watch it? Oh, yes, but look, don't good. spoil that. The, 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 <laughs> let's build the suspense of Dairy Girls. I don't know why I passed over it. Um, sort of 18 times on Netflix. I just, the short didn't do anything for me. But anyway, let's let's come to that. So it's very good. Um, so yeah, so I um, I remember as a as a teenager, um, sitting up and watching the um, when the Belfast Agreement was signed at Stormont, mm. and it was very tense, and we'd all voted on it, and um, I had this tiny little portable, you know, those huge TVs with the big backs, yes. and it was it was perched on my bedside table, and just sitting up watching it late into the night, and it, it just was such a a feeling of excitement because it was like, oh, we might get normal. This yes. might be normal life after this. And it just felt like a time of great optimism and hope because I was trying to explain this to my husband. It's such a we- weirdest thing. We had these ads that would run, TV ads would run before streaming, of course, um, you know, in between Coronation Street or the news or whatever. You're in the media. You need to watch the ads. Someone has to. I know. No, the ads, well, these these ads were <laughs> they remarkable. They for it. But these ads were, were advertising peace. So they're basically like, don't beat the shit out of each other. It could be good. And <laughs> um, and set to the music of Van Morrison. So they were really, when I was a teenager, it was kind of that grunge era and um, this, these catchy little rock tunes. And they were like, don't kill each other. It's going to be awesome. So it was, it was a very weird thing to advertise peace on television. But that that, that was the strange place I grew up in. And, but, but do you feel like you were... Um... I mean, was it scary growing up? Because I suppose, you know, people, my sense would be people don't actually, um, growing up, feel scared even if objectively they should because it's what you grow up with, right? And it's the normal, you know, whether it's a, a, a household with problems or whether it's in Northern Ireland amongst the, the troubles. It was normal for there to be soldiers and cops on the on street corners with guns and it was normal um, to have your handbag or your school bag searched as you went into a shopping centre, um, and and it was normal to you know for places to be evacuated. Bomb scares were normal. We joked about them. Um, it was normal to have you know politicians on TV where their voices were dubbed because. Because they were... <laughs> yeah, what was that about? I saw this on Dairy Girls and I couldn't understand it. It was so strange. So the very idea that Jerry Adams would be allowed to talk on the BBC was an outrage. And, you know, for, for obvious reasons, um, people were very offended by him. And and so, and so so you saw his face, but then it was the voice of an actor's face. This somehow neutralised him somehow. I don't, know, I don't know why anyone thought this was a good idea, but Northern Ireland is full of funny little quirks and symbolisms, and, and to the outside world, it's, it makes total sense to most of us, but to the outside world, it's mad. Like our obsession with, as we call them, flags, flags. 
obsessed with flags. Flying any kind of flag will get you into a world of trouble at home. Um, Because I think I'm right to say your father was a a journalist, may may still be a a journalist. But, I mean, and so, you know, at that level, maybe you had some professional um, uh, objectivity of what he he did about these things. But were you, um, even if it was secretly, were you on a side growing up? Uh, So my my mum's family was one side and my dad was totally neutral and so we were brought up totally neutral so I never never had a side. In a way does that make it more perplexing though? Well no because it's it's not it's just normal and I understand all the arguments like I I understand why um I understand why the IRA were fighting for what they were fighting for Mm. and I understand why unionists were um, opposed to that because mm. they, you know they're sort of fighting for their very identity, I guess, for Republicans or or Catholics. Um, I guess maybe the the fight was so much more pronounced. Well, pronounced it was much more vital because it was it was things about employment and mm. where you could go to school and and jobs and your very survival. So um, so maybe in one sense it did seem more one sided, but. Um, but yeah, the, it just it's just it's just normal. It just didn't until you move away, I guess. Uh, I mean, it's awful. I yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's horrendous. Absolutely, don't get me wrong. It's terrible, terrible time. Um, but when you're in the middle of it, it I didn't know anything else yes. really. And, and so. you've just been recently back there. And what? When were you there last? Uh, so that. I the last I, I went back at uh, Christmas New Year 1920. So just before, mm. just before COVID turned our lives upside down mm. um so it, it was about it was nearly two and a half years before i'd see, see my family so. and you've been living in new zealand what am i right about 15 years uh not that? quite i think it's tw- 12 11 or 12 i think it might be 12 at the end of the year right. so it was only meant to you're be you're almost two. a teenager oh yeah i, <laughs> I really, it was really was only meant to be two but it's not worked out that way <laughs> i know that feel. that was like tauranga for me and then somehow <laughs> i became the member of parliament and you know i was strolling along the beach it was wonderful but um and i enjoyed that by the way but um what was it like going back, you know, recently post-COVID? Really, really, really good. Really yeah. good. Like, um, I'm sure lots of people are feeling like that. And you're about to, yes. you and your wife's family are about to head head back and, and do all that. Um, the relief was enormous because I'd been clinging on to this. Um, you know, I would, I tried not to think about it in the two and a half years, but I would often wake up in the night and just be just terrified that something was going to happen and I couldn't get back. Like mm. the thought of that was just unbearable to me. Mm. So I'd try not to think about it. And, and I tried, and I just kept, you know, every time there was an announcement that the border would remain closed, I'd be sort of, oh, but just move on to the next thing and I'll get there eventually. And just kind of praying nothing would happen. And I was really lucky. No one got sick. Nothing happened. Because you've got what, mum, dad, siblings? Yeah, mum, dad, sister, and then extended family, cousins, aunts, uncles. And are you, are you close to them? Uh, yeah, well, as close as you can be living on the other side of the world. I well, are you are you sister. like my wife Natalie, who has like nineteen WhatsApp um, sort of <laughs> yeah. messages going between the hours of I don't know six a.m. and nine a.m. and then sort of I don't know what it is, but you know five thirty p.m. and ten p.m. <laughs> and it's annoying when I watch anything on Netflix or something. She's always distracted by these ridiculous sort of issues and debates she's having with her sister and her mother and even her even her. 
sisters, husbands, mothers on there now. I mean, it's like, a, I just can't understand it. But I mean, to you, is that... Yeah, it's pretty... Uh, we, I do have ridiculous... Probably with my mum and my sister. Most, my dad doesn't have a phone. He refuses to engage in the modern world. But, <laughs> but um, I like your father. <laughs> yeah, I think he probably would, although he dislikes politicians. But you're a former politician, so you're reformed. That's right. I'm, I'm a broadcaster these days, Andrea. This is true. This is true. <laughs> um, yeah, and actually, I think... Um, I was just thinking about this the other day... Um, my dad, my dad once, the piece of advice he gave to me was, as this is a very typical Irishman, he said, never trust a teetotaler. So I was, <laughs> I, was reading, I was just reading Christopher Luxon's comments the other day about how he doesn't drink, he's never drunk, and I was thinking, oh, that would not go down well with my dad. <laughs> I, um, I have nothing to say about that. It's too soon, but it's an interesting comment you make there. Um, now, how did you... Uh, I suppose I'm trying to ask you, how did you find Northern Ireland this time? I mean, you, you, you're obviously being back, but I mean, is it a different country or a different place than uh, you grew up in? Yeah, d- definitely. So I've been away like t- tw- maybe 20, I'm showing my age now, but ne- uh, roughly 20 years, roughly. I've lived in different places. Um, and She um, came here when she was seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it, so it's changed every time I go back, even when I was going back re- really regularly, sort of every few months. It, but the pace has sort of accelerated. So we just celebrated like, a, a, I think, a quarter of a century since the Belfast Agreement. And um, when I was home, they had quite a significant election where Sinn Féin became the mm. um, first minister, um, the largest number in, in Stormont. So quite a significant election, although I don't want, I'm not going to go into details, but not, not quite as significant as was painted because nothing's really changed. Mm. But I feel like we could have an election like that sometime yeah, in the next no. couple of years. But oh, I, I wish... This is not a podcast about politics, I just want to say, but yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I was I was geeking. I, I loved it. It was great. It was really interesting. I loved being there for the election um, and did the thing that journalists do the world over, like go to the pub and sit in the corner with the other journalists. Yes. So, um, but anyway, so it has... Because you know Juno's over there. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, some some really interesting journalists, so... I mean, being somewhere else changes your perception of the place. Being here and then, and then going over there, how does that make you think about it all? It's interesting that you asked me that because I have actually been thinking about that a lot because of the enforced separation and the distance. Although I chose to move away... Um, when I was reading your book, I, I actually thought about this a lot. It kind of crystallised some of the things I was I was thinking. Um, your book, National Identity, obviously, it kind Thank of went... you. I didn't ask you to do that, by the way, for those <laughs> well, listening. I feel it was like not I should... <laughs> National Identity, Simon Bridges in all good bookstores. It's still there, by the way. Yeah. You know, some considerable... It, it had a lot of bad luck because it hit during lockdown, Auckland lockdown. I, I'm sure there were thousands more copies to be sold, but it's still a good book. You went to number one, though. If I sell that many copies, well. I'll be delighted. <laughs> I, I think you will. We'll see. We'll see. But so, so you were you were sort of examining yourself and and who you are and where you st- stood um, in the world. And I was thinking about this not not just because of your book, but because I was being made to be away. And I guess the thing I was thinking is I don't have a New Zealand passport. I'm entitled to one mm. now, but I've never applied for one because I just don't feel like a New Zealander. Mm. I'm not. I'm not a Kiwi. And even though I immerse myself in it every day and I write about it for a living. And um, I guess COVID really, really hardened that in me. I felt, and I think a lot of other people who are not, who weren't born here and expats who've moved here, immigrants, if you like, felt very uh, alienated and isolated. Well, not everyone, obviously some people, you know, 
didn't feel that. But there was a sense that, um, you know, with the people who were stranded abroad, the anger that was directed at them and the yes. feeling that, well, they should have come home or, you know, the idea that they, how dare they live overseas and then in this great country. Um, it was strange, wasn't it? It was very, I just felt, like I just, I have never felt as, as less part of a community, I think, as I've ever felt mm. in my entire life. I really didn't like it. I also, I, this is not a criticism, it's just an observation, but I felt like, I obviously consume a lot of, um, God, content, a lot of podcasts, a lot of mm. news, um, a lot of culture from home. And so I was absorbing the way that Irish and British people responded to it with that typical gallows, this is a very Irish thing, but that gallows mm. humour, that sort of making light of everything. And, and um, whereas in New Zealand, everything just, everyone felt like everyone was taking everything so seriously. We can be a bit earnest. Yeah, earnest is the perfect word. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. oh, you're crossing into into journalism there with your your good words. Oh, <laughs> earnest. How do I spell even spell that? My sons could though. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um I just yeah, and so I felt like um I think I would have not coped better, but I would have had a better reaction if I if I had have been at home and kind of we were all in this together and and the way that we in the way that Ireland always deals with things and because the I British presume too. now in Northern Ireland when you're over there, um, COVID isn't even a thing. They're just getting on. Or no, yeah, be- it's. I mean, you you meet the odd person who you know that six degrees of separation. Someone who yeah. has someone who has COVID. Mm. No one's wearing masks and everyone's no. traveling and the airport, airports are in chaos and whatnot. It's, 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 we've moved on to the next crisis, which is cost of living. So everyone's moaning about the cost of tea bags or whatever. I was thinking about this constantly, like who, as you were, I guess, when you were writing, like who am I and where do I fit in the world and and what what am I? Because I always had this. Um, intellectual view I guess um, that um, you know I'm very pro-immigration and I get very annoyed with anti-immigration arguments and um, because I think that we're very very lucky in where we're born you and I were lucky because we were born in in mm-hmm. you know comfortable wealthy mm-hmm. countries and um, and our circuit and, and it's just by chance those circumstances mm-hmm. we weren't born in Syria or Ukraine or mm-hmm. you know somewhere like that and so I sort of feel like why shouldn't people have a chance to move countries and and so would you say you know I mean if you you'll be, you'll be familiar with the you know it's what is it anywheres or somewheres you're a sort of an anywhere yeah is that what you're saying you don't you're not you're Everyone not, you're have not a chance. And, and in a way I suppose what I'm maybe it's me talking you know you're not um you're not a nationalist I mean I I on a bad day or a good day I probably can be quite nationalistic um, no definitely not we would be your happy places you know I suppose Maori so, have a tūranga wai wai you know yeah, that, yeah. So, where would you sort of say you I was in my rambling way I was kind of getting to that so I was I was intellectually that was what I was thinking that's what I thought I always believed that borders don't matter if you have a chance for a better life you should take it and no one should stand in your way practicalities notwithstanding and services and infrastructure and all, all those arguments that go along with the immigration debate. And and I thought, you know, I can I can live out of a suitcase, I can be happy anywhere. Although I do miss I did miss home. But with the enforced separation, I and then when I went home, I just was and I felt comfortable mm. and and all these things were familiar and it was and and then I started to understand that 
concept that you were just talking about to Runga Huawei and, and this is my place and, and this is where I'm settled. And it was silly little things like, of course, it's the, the taste of the food um, and our and our. Which is like, habits. What, what did you miss? What would you like if you were in Northern Ireland oh, right now and you were... My thing, my absolute thing is soda bread. It's my right. absolute comfort food. And I do make it here, but it's not the same because we don't have the same kind of flour. Yes. Um, and, so, and, and so the seafood, you guys have lovely seafood, but it's but not... But it is different. It's in not, the, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not our frozen to death Atlantic sea. Yeah, I don't like Br- British slash European fish and so on. They just, oh, I don't know. Get out of Blech. here. No, no, Blech. I am not having that at all. No, <laughs> absolutely. But it's think, sort you of know, tasteless. And... No, oh, come on. Well, you clearly... No, need... actually, I, I, you're completely right. No, it's not tasteless. It tastes too much. You're actually right. I don't, well, yeah, I don't like the cods and the... You know, give me a snapper or a kahawai any day of the Right, I'm going to have to give week. you a list of ref- restaurants to, to visit before you go, but before you well, leave. One day I am going to go to, not that he's probably has anything to do with it, but I am going to go to Rick Stein's oh, Padstow, yeah. oh. whatever it is, yeah, and probably pay like <laughs> 70 quid or something for a small piece of fish. And um, I, 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 we should keep moving because there's so much to talk to you about, but I did want to say... Um, Dairy Girls, I loved it. So Andrea put me on to that. Um, I don't know whether it's appropriate or not, but my 10, 8-year-old and 4-year-old have also been loving it. Fortunately, to the extent that there's adult themes that have been going over their, um, their, their head. It's amazing. And um, and Natalie actually as well, she, um, like you, I mean, she obviously is not Northern Irish. She grew up in Coventry and went to a Catholic school. And there are a lot of Irish uh, Catholics at that school. So she found it very familiar as well, actually. So recommendation, Dairy Girls. Um, I, I thought it would be, but it's funny. It's very funny. And the thing the thing that is a kind of a mystery to all of us in Northern Ireland, because we obviously love it, it's cherished now, um, but we can't understand where the rest of the world gets it. Like, there's very specific... Hum- so I think that it operates on two levels, because there's, yes. there's a very there's a very funny... Um, Episode. They're they're writing divisions on a whiteboard. You know, the priests say, you know, what's different between Protestant Catholics and what's similar. And oh, yeah, it's all differences. And it's all different. And one of the things is Protestants keep their toasters in a cupboard, which to everyone in Northern Ireland is hilarious. It's very funny because it's true. What is that? But also, well, it just is. It just it's just a thing. It's just a difference. I don't know why it is or but. But it was like it no one had ever. It speaks of deep repression or something. Probably, yeah. But no one had like articulated. But everyone was like, "Oh shit, yeah, absolutely." And so, um, but little things like that are hilarious to us. And also the Christmas cupboard, genius. Because we Christmas? all have a Christmas cupboard. You, well, you keep your stuff for Christmas, like your, right. your nice chalky biscuits and yes. and your mom. Oh yes. Your mom's and they at ate the, all of that. Your mum's at the crazy price. We used to because we didn't have because during the troubles we didn't have Tesco or I didn't eat at McDonald's until I was eighteen because we d- just didn't have them. But um. But so we, our you supermarket. Had, you hadn't was, lived. I know, I know. So our supermarket was called Crazy Prices, <laughs> and so your mum would go to the Crazy Prices and buy the nice biscuits. But they, you weren't. That's for the Christmas cupboard. <laughs> so things like that. But anyway, so Dairy Girls. Um, the reason, the reason it's awesome, and the reason I recommended it is because it's very funny. But also, Northern Ireland is having a cultural zeitgeist at the moment. Like it's like twenty five years on from the Belfast Agreement. Suddenly. It's coming alive and people are recognising that we are our own little special place and we are flipping awesome. And we have we have all these mad little sayings and little ways that are that are being celebrated in this TV show. And we have these very Northern Irish phrases and now you can buy mugs and T-shirts with these phrases on Brilliant. it. Like like how um, 
how like I would greet people in the street. I'd be like, oh, hiya, oh, hiya. And it's such a Belfast thing that no one else says that, but you can get a mug now. I actually did, it's tragic, but I bought a mug with, oh, hiya. (laughs) I went to Northern Ireland and all I got was this mug. You're sounding just an incy, wincy, but nationalistic. No, no, no. No, 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 no. But well, because we're not, we're not, I mean, that would be, that would, oh my God. There's nothing wrong with that. No, no, no. What I'm saying is we're our own little special place. We are forged because we are not Irish and we're not British. Like, and people fight over these things, but we've sort of shaped our own little cool identity. And, and you can, I mean, are we a country? Are we not a country? Are we a province? Are we province? Are we, are we Irish? Are we British? You know, all those, and that's a debate that Actually, will rage on for I mean, years. I have to ask you that. I, like, we've got to move on, but this is too much. This is too good. But yeah, would you growing up have said you're <clears throat> British? I'm Northern Irish. Mm. I love going to England, but I'm not English. I, I w- lived in Scotland for a long time. I'd probably identify more as Scottish than anything. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you are a journalist, and we do know, of course, that um, journalists are held in even lower regard than politicians. Um, and you, Scott Shieldsman. <laughs> down there with some other professions. We won't get into that. But you are, a re- and I, you know, I... I'm not a journalist, but I've I hung around with a lot of journalists over the years, and I, I actually like journalists. But you're a senior, uh, deeply experienced and distinguished one. Why'd you do it? I mean, obviously, I now know, I'm not trying to psychoanalyse you here, really, but I know your dad was one. Um, you could have been an astronaut. Mm. I know you love do, your dog. You could have been a vet. Mm. I wasn't very good at science, and there was no space <laughs> program in Belfast, so so neither you of those things were You needed a Stephen Joyce to get you one. Uh, yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, that is true. Probably because my dad was one, and I grew up around it, and I remember being in his office with a, t- I swear to God, a typewriter. That's <laughs> how old I am, and bashing away Brilliant. when I could, my feet didn't hit the ground. And then my poor, poor dad is a very wise man and recognised that journalism is not a profession that's going to it's going to get you into a lot of trouble it's not going to make you any money so he tried he tried really really hard to talk me out of it and so he's like right well mm. if you're going to you need to get some experience if you're serious about this so he had he was the editor of three papers and so he put me to work in in one of the offices where he did not go very often <laughs> and so so he put me to work in there and he he thought I would spend the summer so I was doing my part-time job and I was studying and and then in my free time I had to go and work in this office so he thought I'd be doing like press releases about fates and and garden shows and what day the rubbish was connect, collected. But unfortunately, it was the year that the Drumcree riots kicked mm. off. And so the town where I was working was 
was one of the towns where that was um, it was a flashpoint. So there I was attending the scene of pipe bombs and bonfires and very exciting. And so then from then I was like hooked. So it had the absolute opposite effect of what he intended. And I don't know if I should, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I love it. And I have to mention, you were, of course, news of the world. I know. Um, then through to the Scotsman and, and now um, obviously stuff. And so that's a that's a heck of a ride from a sort of naughty tabloid to, um, I'm sorry, Sinead, but I love stuff. Amazing. But, you know, slightly more on the earnest side of the, to use that word again, because you liked it so much, spectrum. I mean, how do you, um, how do you, it's what, what a heck of a ride. How do you reflect on that? Oh, I, I think people think that I should, you know, I often get abused on Twitter, <laughs> like that news of the world hack. And I'm like, yeah, well, I was I was part of it. I was seven <laughs> years. I did like I did really good work there. Yeah. And I think people obviously have the impression because of the bad behavior of of um, of some yes. some reporters that subsequently were prosecuted for their bad behavior. Um, but in my time there, you know, I, I did I, the thing I like most about it was um was that you gave, and this is true, I think, of all journalism, maybe not political journalism, it's kind of the opposite of that, but but you give a voice to people who do not have a voice. These people would ring up and they'd be, the abs- you know, they'd be at the absolute end of their tether with whether it was um, it was the local council or, um, you know, like there was one series of investigation we did on, on these, these people who were, um, who were getting these cars from mm-hmm. these, you know, basically corporate loan sharks and just, you know they couldn't afford to make their payments, and then they'd take the car away, and then they had to pay, still pay for the car, but also the um, penalties on top of that. And so these people were at their, you know, they'd be crying and they'd be at their wits end, and you go and you get the photo with the angry face and the arms folded, and and then you would ring up and you'd be like, oh hey, it's Andrew Events here from the News of the World, and and there'd be just like a <gasps> intake of breath, and and almost every time you could make these people's problems go away because they'd be like, oh no, we're going to be in the News of the World on Sunday, and yes. so. So that's the other side of working for, but I had I had. A I mean, I, I don't mean to. Ta- I mean, I don't mean to take it down a notch here. I mean, my <laughs> wife accuses me of always bringing things down to the lowest common denominator, <laughs> but it is a it is a thing. I I understand this could be complete nonsense, but I understand one of your first stories was of a woman who said that she saw the baby Jesus in her baby scan. I hope she didn't call it Mary. At here, Do you know is what? this true? I never know what I never knew what happened to that baby, but yeah, <laughs> it was my first day on the job. They were it's like a very special um, child. Yeah, they were. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the. I can't remember the name of the suburb, but um, it was somewhere in in um, West West Glasgow, and uh, I got sent out on my first day uh, on the job to see this baby. Oh, so you were doing news of the world from Scotland. Yep, I was mm. in. Uh, well, basically, I was in Scotland, and my patch was. Um, I worked in Glasgow, uh, Edinburgh, and then Glasgow, and then back to Edinburgh. And my patch was basically from the board, the east coast, from the border right the way up to Aberdeen and Peterhead, and all the way up yes. there. So I used to drive like five hundred miles a week all over Amazing. Scotland. I used to love it, but yeah, no, J- Jesus in my baby scan. <laughs> but also, Do you think she was for real. Well, it, lo- it did look like Jesus. Like, oh. I, you know, there was no denying it. Oh, so you saw the scan and, well, there, yeah, I mean, and there he was, <laughs> the Christ. <laughs> of course. I mean, you know, we do have to I demand proof on some occasions, even at the news of the world. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just a lame attempt by a pregnant woman to get herself no, no, no. famous. I think she got 400 quid for it. I think that was the Brilliant. going rate for a page lead at the time. Brilliant. But, um... Or maybe it was two fifty. Anyway, um, so yeah, no, I had I had some classics classics of the genre. Uh, Ned's blew up my hamster, so that was. <laughs> and Ned is. Um, this is like Ricky Gervais in that life or whatever it is on <laughs> oh Netflix, you know, where he goes in and sees the kind of two 
I'll probably get cancelled for this, but whatever it is, you know, morbidly obese people talking about their burger eating competition or something. This was you. Is it true? It's true. Ricky Gervais modelled himself on you at News of the World. It's, I, I do recognise a lot of journalism in that show. It's the local newspaper journalism, <laughs> certainly. But yeah, no, um, Ned's Flip, my hamster, was a classic. But we did, I did other stuff. Like I remember spending quite a long period of time in um, in a bush trying to get a photo of um, Elle McPherson, the Australian model, because the story, <laughs> story was she was at this health retreat. And so away, uh, me and the photographer went and we spent uh, literally spent all, all, like all day in this bush in, the, in a damp Scottish forest in the, in the north of Scotland. And I remember getting home really late that night. It was a Saturday. And I remember getting home really late that night and thinking this is my Saturday night. And... Uh, and getting ready for bed and having to pull a tick out of my leg <laughs> from crouching in this bush all the day. And we never even got the bloody photo. Good, it was a waste good. of time. I, I once met Al McPherson. Did you? Well, I didn't get to well, meet no, her. No, I didn't. But <laughs> but I was at St Luke's Mall as a, te- as a, as a pimply teenager and she was there um, doing the catwalk with some other um, uh, models um, selling her... Um, I, I think it was, it was the tartan sort of range of lingerie and she threw some out in the audience and I got some of her underwear. Did I you? Mean, not her underwear, but her ranger's <laughs> underwear, shall we, shall we say. So there you go. I, you I got, do want to you t- got better than me. I, yeah, I, I don't, I, look, I, I can do highbrow, right? I don't want you to think that. And, and you, you recently, as soon as this year, won a global award with Ian McGregor, who's a good guy for outstanding uh, biodiversity uh, work. Congratulations on that! Tell us about that. Thank you. Yeah, I've gone from um, I've gone from um, kiss and tells <laughs> at the News of the World, which I was really good at actually. That's it's like writing I mean, I just, I'm, I'm salvaging your reputation it's, at this point. Know, right? the, I don't this, want... It's beyond salvaging. <laughs> it's definitely beyond salvaging. Um, no, we did. Um, Ian and I spent a year last year. Um, working on the biodiversity crisis so mm. so this everyone talks about the climate crisis but the biodiversity crisis is, is equally as troubling and New Zealand happens to be because it is a biodiversity hotspot and we've got all these amazing creatures and we're such a new country the impacts that we're having on on these native species is much more pronounced so it was a, it was a good place to do it but heartbreaking so we spent a year in these wild and wonderful places places that no one else gets to set foot in mm. really um and like we're subantarctica some yeah. of these islands i don't even know the names yeah of we yet. went to all of the subantarctic groups and then an, another place oh it was it's incredible it was my actually my third trip down there and i just I love it it's, mm. it's a place that's in my soul it's a mm. wonderful place um and then rangatira which is a is a pest-free island off the Chatham Islands, which most people have never even heard of. And it was, um, it's literally alive with birds. At nighttime, you look up and the sky is swirling with these incredible seabirds. So it was amazing experiences. Um, and then we put it together uh, for stuff for a seven-part series that um, yeah, seems to have been really well received. So we're just... Um, we're work, we're trying to work on a second series of mm. it, but we're just we're looking for sponsorship at the moment. Mm. <laughs> so if anyone mm. wants to pony up, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> well, it's important, and I mean, my sense is you are an environmentalist. You feel strongly about this. Is that yeah, sort I, of fear? I, I, I mean, I'm not. You, I, you don't now want to say no. I don't. No, no, but... no, 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 no. no it's, I have always um I have always been interested in it because um. Well, not to take it back to Northern Ireland, but when I was when I was growing up, um, there was this local fight. We had this um, quarry, the cement quarry near mm. where I grew up, and it was it's you know very coastal area, and they wanted to put a landfill there. They wanted mm. to fill the quarry with rubbish, and so the local community fought for years and years and years. And I and it just was like quite a big part of my childhood 
who'd grown up because my dad would be writing about his paper would write about it and and my mum was on the beach cleaning up and all that kind of stuff and so I've always I've always been interested in it and what happened was it's I promised there was a point to the story but what happened was that eventually the community won which rarely happens mm. and the quarry is now a major set for Game of Thrones wow yeah so actually some good did come of it. We, it turned out that we didn't have to destroy the environment to make money. Because so. Game of Thrones it was quite a bit of that. In, yeah, uh, all of it was filmed in Northern Ireland. So oh, yeah, yeah, it's a bit of. Well, that would have been good for the old economy. Yeah, well, it's it was like Lord of the Rings for yeah. New Zealand. It was yeah. just a huge money. Yeah, people do, don't they? Actually, Natalie's sister's busy friend because she did acting for a while was um, uh, the stunt horse rider. Uh, one of the probably had fifty, and um, that's right, it's Northern Ireland, isn't it? Yeah, amazing. But weren't you an extra? Didn't, weren't you an extra in, in Zena? Hey, who's interviewing who here? <laughs> what, what is Just remember you I, told I me have that been, I've been an Asian warrior in Xena and a um, and and a uh, some sort of other variation of warrior back in the days when I could possibly remotely take my shirt off in Young Hercules, and we did we were doing star fighting with our shirts off behind the main. Um, characters, which was it wasn't Kevin Stobo or whatever his name was, it was someone else. But um, look, enough of that. I feel like we've done <laughs> great, this topic to death. A great I, career. <laughs> I do I, look. I I couldn't stop without asking you a little about your um, new book. You are now an author, and this is your first book. Mm, yeah. Do you pinch yourself? I I am. Um, yeah. It's kind of, it's slightly <laughs> terrifying. Like I was so naive when I um. I was coming off making the documentary series for stuff, and and I was I, I am I am like a magpie. I'm always grasping for the big next new shiny thing. I'm always like, right, what's next? What's next? So you're like, yeah, I'll and, do that. Yeah, and so they the Harper Collins rang me up and and asked me would I be interested be interested. And of course, I've always wanted to write a book, and um and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I thought to myself, oh. It's probably like writing maybe 10 features. It's no problem. Like, oh. I, you know, I'll rattle that out and, oh, my God, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. What sort of word count is this? 75,000. Yeah. It's a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. I did yeah. I did 50 proudly and 50,000 and sent it to them and thought that would be a wonderful thing. And they said, yeah, that's good. Another 25, oh, thanks. Really... I won't tell you which chapters were the, were the last <laughs> 25,000. Actually, they are my favourites. But that's, yeah, it is. And, and are you... Is it scary? It's terrifying. It really is because, like, obviously I write every day of the week and send stuff through and it gets published. And, yes, it gets published in a newspaper, but there's a... Um, the worst thing for journalists is getting something wrong. It's just hot. It's the thing that keeps you awake at night. And and we talk about having the dawn fear. You know, you've got a big story that's coming out at 5am. Believe you me, I know the feeling <laughs> so from a politician's it? perspective. Oh, it's oh shit, worst. what did I say? <laughs> no. Oh, no. So you're like, John Key will not be happy. No, I'm like, exa- yeah. exactly. exactly. Well, I had the dawn fear for exactly the same reason. John Key's not going to be happy. Yeah. But you do... Um, you do have that thing where you wake up sort of four in the morning and the thing goes live at five or it's in the you know the paper that people are about to start buying. And but at the same time you have that but you also know that, you know, like it can be corrected online or and, and it's yesterday's fish and chip paper or that kind of thing, mm. you know. It's not as when it's a book it feels much more permanent. So Oh, it's just, it's, and also, I guess it's secondary. It's not, it's not as important to me. But it's like, well, if, what if everyone hates it? What if it's rubbish? <laughs> so, how do I come out of it? Very well, I would say. <laughs> yes, I would, I would say there's two yes. villains and many heroes in this oh, book. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> and um, my former colleagues are worried. Should they be? Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, moving right along. Um, now, I um, I want to say dub, but do, do is your pride, your joy, your like love. Yeah. Um, it, w- what is do in, in Gaelic, is it? It's, it means black. Uh, and, yeah. and it's a she? She, yeah. And breed? She's a Sharpay, like a roly dog, like the toilet rollers. Yeah, beautiful. And and, and I can, look, I can understand your love, but I, I, I have to, well, I don't have to ask, but I'm going to ask. I see her on Twitter like every other day. You're clearly obsessed with her. Um, what What is so special about Do? Oh, she is, I, I feel like I want to jump in and say not every day. Every, I'm like, I don't. <laughs> Occasionally, I'll post on Twitter. I've got nothing else to say on Twitter because I—it's a hell site, and but but photos of do tend to go quite well. So um, I am—I am the worst dog owner because I—you know—you're supposed to keep them in a cage when you know in their first few days. She was on the bed immediately. I was like, "There's no way she's going in doggy jail." And we didn't take her to puppy training. And so she doesn't believe she's a dog fundamentally. She is the queen of the household. She is a human. She's so. She well, she's very independent. They, they can be quite aloof. Um, anyway, they're a bit like cats. Sharpies they don't really do pats, and um, and she she goes her own way. So we go for walks. We go up um up the hill in Wellington, and uh, and she'll be having a run around with the other dogs. She loves other dogs, and she'll be running around. And I'll call her name. And I'll call her name ten times, and ten other dogs will come to me and like heal and do. Will just be like. When I'm ready, human, this is my walk. <laughs> mm. But I love that about her. She's fiercely independent and she's she's a little diva, so that's Wonderful. good. I, I love dogs. I'm a dog person. Yeah, but you it. give yours away. So. Yes, no, well, ours, well I know, now I need to tell the story because I don't want people to think that we are awful, horrible people. We are that, but not in relation to the uh, the dogs. No, my, our latest Jasper, or as my wife uh, calls him, Jaspers, um, unfortunately our body corporate wouldn't allow dogs and mm. some nasty person was rather nasty. So um, that, that's that's sort of that's very sad. I think it's true, though. I, I do stand by that kind of strongly that people who don't like, I don't really like people who don't like dogs. <laughs> that's a lot of my person. Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. So you don't like my mother. Uh, your mother's and, delightful, I'm sure. Yeah, she just doesn't want to. Something speaks to her childhood. But anyway, you can read that chapter in the book. Now, to wrap up, I ask every guest three questions until I'm bored of them. Not the not the guests, the questions. Um, it's the general knowledge section. Firstly, what single object, if you could take only one thing, would you save from your home? Just, I really struggled with this question because you can't say do. No, well, I, I, I know. In, 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 in I, I did, yeah, I did pick that. Um, <laughs> so I did. I think probably I did. I was thinking about this quite. I was. I just can't. This question really baffled me because everything I was thinking of, I was like, well, I could replace that or I can get that back. So it's probably I have a box of mementos, things mm. that people have given to me, and the first postcard that my husband ever wrote to me, and mm. all that kind of stuff. So. I probably grabbed that, but then as I was leaving the house this morning, I was thinking, and I just spotted it out at the corner of my eye. I have, for the entire time I've been in New Zealand, I've searched for a griddle, which is which is a flat pan, and it's um, you put it on stove, and it's how you make soda bread. And I have not. But been, does the griddle has that? has got the sort of the. Um, no, 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 not li- not like no, that. Not like one not of those. A ridge to- no, 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 a flat pan. Right. And I have searched all the secondhand shops I could have ever went in, and I've not never Briscoes, I've never been able to find a griddle. And eventually, my mum took pity on me and 
and one came back with me. She gave me her griddle. That's and love. it came back. Yeah, it came back to me. So it would probably survive a fire, to be fair, but I'd probably <laughs> grab that on the way out. <laughs> yes. Um, what is the best night you've ever had out? And as someone who's Irish, this better be good. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, this is a t- this is a really. T- I think I'm going dis- <laughs> to disappoint you with this because I I know you do know about some of my more scandalous nights out. But um, I I actually one of the most memorable nights I've ever had in my life. There was alcohol involved, but um, I was on my ha- oh, honeymoon. I'm that you that you assumed I was talking about a boozy alcoholic sort of bender. Well, I, some, I, I I do I do conform to the stereotype <laughs> of an Irish woman, but um. So I was on my honeymoon in um, in Africa, Botswana, I think, and um, we we did this um, night that nice night safari trip thing where you go you go to well we weren't staying in a fancy hotel because we were poor then um, still poor but not as poor um, and we you they drive you to a watering hole and it's a fancy hotel and you sit and you can have drinks and Amazing. watch and act like you'd stayed at that fancy hotel well yeah yeah i know that feeling yeah i know so so the so the actual guests were in the better anyway never mind and, and there was a storm and all these creatures were you know hippos and elephants were drinking at the watering hole and it was just spectacular and we were sipping brandy and the and it was warm and it was lovely so then so you do that for a little while and it was really nice we were with um some other people on the tour and then we got back in in the uh, truck, and you know it was one of those trucks with the sides are open. You know, mm. there's no doors. And as we were driving, all of a sudden the driver, um, the guy, sort of screeched. Well, not screeched a whole, but stopped quite suddenly and turned out the lights. And we were like, "Oh, what's going on?" Um, and suddenly we were in the middle of this herd of elephants. Amazing. And the guy is like, "Please do not move." Do not use flash cameras. Just you know, just, so we're all sitting there, not actually not breathing because mm. we're surrounded by these. And so you couldn't. Your eyes eventually adjusted a little bit, but it's the smell and the the noises of the of the elephants, like um, you know, the trunks were sort of sniffing the truck, mm. and and so close that you could um, you know, when you put your arm down, you could feel the hairs of them, wow. and they were that close. And it was a big herd of about thirty elephants, and it took quite a long while for them to pass through and around the truck, and then at the end. The big mama elephant, because there was little calves as well, kind of, she stays to the end and then she went across the road. And it was just the most, because it was Amazing. dark as well and your senses were heightened, it was the most magical, because I'm mad about animals, it was the most magical mm. experience. So I'm sorry it wasn't... Um, that is uplifting. I, I was you know, I was <laughs> hoping for a story of you at the end in a gutter, you know, sort of with, with teeth missing and a tattoo on your face or something. Yeah, but something, I don't but... remember those moments. So. <laughs> but um, but that's, uh, that is very uplifting. What is the best advice? you've ever been given and who gave it oh, I hate these sort of questions I but just, I think they are revealing I don't yeah I don't it wasn't adv- it wasn't advice but w- when I was at the news of the world which is my it wasn't my first show it was my second job but I was I was really young when I started there so I was a, I was like 20 I think when I started and so I was very green um and they would n- like it's such a it's such a harsh um, newsroom and such a competitive newsroom. You're in you're in competition with each other and other papers, and high stakes and high money. And you would never be allowed to give up. Like mm. you you could not give up on a story until the absolute. You would be there. They they keep you there till lights out. So we'd be doing stakeouts, and you're not allowed to leave until the lights went out in the house, or and then you had to be back the next morning. But you just and you you'd have to call and call until you got a no. And so, I mean, I don't. It's a very it's in a very aggressive tabloid style of journalism and I, that's not how I operate now. But it did teach me, um, and my boss, Douglas, did teach me just to never give up on a story. Mm. So sometimes when you think, 
um, it's totally hopeless and you can't, you know the story's true, but you can't quite prove it. Like, just come at it from different angles. Talk to someone else or, you know, so I, I just never, ever give up until I absolutely exhausted every line of inquiry. So that's probably not necessarily a piece of advice, but it was it was the way I was taught to work. Fantastic. Well, you almost, I, I hope my children aren't listening to this and deciding that they want to be journalists after um, all of that. Well, There's no money in it. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, some, some other great rewards. Um, Andrea, it's just been great to have you. Andrea Vance, very smart, not that scary. Um, say hi to do, and thanks for coming on Generally Famous. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Generally Famous. There's a new episode every Wednesday. You can listen to them all at stuff.co.nz slash generallyfamous or wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, if you follow us on Apple or Spotify, any of the podcast apps, in fact, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Sounds good, right? Thanks to my producer, Chris Reed. I'm Simon Bridges. I really appreciate you listening. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child abuse no, numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. That's Nothing iffy in there. That on. sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.